On today's show, I was super lucky to spend time with an incredible performance coach, Poppy Blanchard. Originally an occupational therapist specialising in adolescent mental health, Poppy was fascinated by the psychology of humans. A background in international sports and untimely injury inspired Poppy to learn more about the mental strength and inner workings of those performing at the top of their game. After re-educating herself in sport and business performance psychology, Poppy launched her business in 2016 to help athletes unlock their potential. Since then, she has worked with top-level athletes and is part of some incredible academies such as the Rolex Young Rider Academy and the Windrush Equestrian Foundation. There was so much in this episode that I related to and I had so many light bulb moments myself. We covered topics from the importance of self-belief to social media and much more. I can't thank Poppy enough for her time and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Inside Rain podcast and I am super excited to be joined by the wonderful Poppy Blanford from Poppy Blanford Performance Coach. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We got in contact um, a few weeks ago and I was fascinated uh, by the work you do and you've worked with some of the most incredible um, academies and athletes um, all over the world really. Um, So you're a performance coach uh, from County Meath and you help individuals and teams unlock their potential to perform at their best and you do that through many different um, kind of methods don't you? Yes. Before we get into that, I'd like to know how you got started and how you got into horses. Yeah, sure. So I'm not from a particularly horsey background. My direct family aren't aren't horsey, but um, my grandmother was very passionate about me learning to ride. So I got got started at riding school locally from about age five and just never stopped. It just (laughs) escalated upon escalated. And there were some great local people that I sort of ended up, as they call it, they dragged me up uh, <laughs> there and yeah, just started riding ponies all day, every day, as much as possible. I never, you know, was kind of lucky enough to be able to do the sport at a high level or anything, but I just kept on riding as much as possible and um, doing anything that I could that involved myself in horses. If someone was going to a show, I'd go with them. Um, If there was horses brought somewhere, I wanted to go. So it was just a passion right from the get-go. And I suppose then when I uh, started into university, I used all my summers to travel abroad and work for different international riders. And I kind of kept building from there, really. Lovely. And when you were spending your summers with the international riders, um, was that mainly riders? Was that mainly riding, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Was that for grooming or was it riding or was it mainly coaching? Oh, so it wasn't coaching at all at that point. Um, I was very much kind of going out, working in different yards, whatever that involved, riding, grooming, um, and, and yeah, going from there. So I suppose I was living two very strange worlds because in university I uh, qualified to be an occupational therapist, which is... I suppose quite a specialist career and for anyone that doesn't know it's all about the rehabilitation of people from mental and physical point of view Um, and I sort of specialized into adolescent mental health so you know working with young people through depression and you know eating disorders mood disorders school problems all that type of thing and so it was quite a heavy sort of a degree um, and pretty intense placements, you know, in all sorts of situations. I worked on cancer wards and stroke units, that kind of thing. Um, and, and then I'd, you know, get my Christmas holidays and I'd be on the first flight out to uh, the Sunshine Tour to work with a rider. Uh, so I could be in, in a ward on Friday afternoon, you know, dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. And I, I, by that night, I'd get on a flight and, and go and freelance for someone out in Spain or something for, for the Easter holidays, for example. And, and over the summer as well, I, I did the same thing. So that work must have been very, like you say, intense, but it also must have been a very kind of grounding work. And when you then, you know, were going to the Sunshine Tours and working for the riders, 
did that what you did during during the week kind of impact on how you saw the world how how you saw the horse world then yeah absolutely so um I, I suppose you have to be a naturally kind of caring, empathetic person to, to go down that, that route of study anyway. Uh, so I was very connected to that work and, and loved it. I suppose the part that kind of jarred for me was I'm not really a nine to five type of person. So um, I didn't particularly enjoy the idea of being on someone else's schedule, working nine to five within within the health system. It felt very limited for me. Um, and then I was kind of going out to this other world that was full of such freedom and, you know, passion. And, and it was just very, very different. But I suppose then um, while I was involved in the horse world, what I found was I became a natural sounding board for people that would have worked closely with me, you know, because I became very aware very quickly that as amazing as the horse world is, it's not exempt from dealing with all the stressors of life that everybody deals with and that I was seeing in my work life. So, you know, family dysfunction, uh, negative thoughts, stress, all that kind of stuff. So I suppose people kind of naturally, I was a good person to talk to because uh, I was used to hearing that stuff and, and people naturally would have talked to me a lot. And that's sort of when I really started to think, wow like I wonder is there an ability to join these two things together because I have such a passion for the horse world and I have such a passion for healthcare. how can I make those two things um join together and I suppose then what happened next was I took a very early retirement from the health system um because I just got completely taken in by the horse world and I suppose like any young person I, I had a dream of you know getting out into it and, and seeing what I had to offer and I spent time in the US in Wellington and Florida I spent a lot of time for a gorgeous Canadian rider in Calgary um, did all the big shows Spruce Meadows, Wellington, Palm Beach all those kind of five-star Toronto that kind of thing so I was really like thrown in the deep end of the sport and I suppose during that time when I was in it full-time I was kind of you know surrounded by the big sport that's when I really started to see that there was a role for me being a support to people because the more pressure you put people under the more stressors I suppose that emerge so that was like a real turning point for me and, and I eventually came back to Ireland and I was having uh, you know a very hard time thinking how am I going to put these two things together and I kept saying I need to go back and get a real job <laughs> like what am I going to do I can't go back into the health system like it, it doesn't fit for me as a person I can't just play around in horses forever what am I going to do um, and I actually ended up having, having a bad fall and broke a vertebrae on my back and completely messed my hand up as well so <laughs> So I was out for, um, yeah, a good few months, basically. And I suppose that was kind of a turning point for me in thinking, okay, how do I move this forward? Like, what can I do? Um, and I just spent hours and hours on the internet because I couldn't do anything else, trying to find courses that I could do. And I found an amazing master's program in performance coaching. Um, and I applied for that essentially. And at the same time, then I wasn't able to ride uh, to make money. So I started doing just a, what you'd call a normal person's job, but it was still in the, <laughs> in the horse industry. Um, and I traveled extensively in that job to a lot of the big shows, to a lot of different riders out in the continent, the US. And I just got this absolute passion back for the sport uh, after being injured. And I just thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, and I studied like hell at night uh, and wrote a thesis and did all that kind of stuff for two years. Um, and then I think in 2015 or 16, yeah, I went out on my own and started the performance coaching business. Wow, like the amount of experience that you've accumulated really, you know, I suppose like add value to, to that, add value to what you have today. And when you were kind of noticing that top level athletes were being put under pressure and like you explained that the stressors come out, were you surprised to find a lack of help at that point? You know, you obviously saw a gap in the market for the want of a better word, but 
were you surprised that there was not that much help there for the, those athletes at that time? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I come from a place where mental health is really important. But I don't think if we look back, even just in life, six, seven years ago, I don't think we talked about mental health or, you know, psychology in the way that we do now. So it was very much like, uh, for me doing that, it was like, like no one had done it before, you know, and of course, there had been sports psychologists in the industry, but it wasn't a career that you just picked and went to yeah. do it. You know, I think a lot, of, there's a lot more now. There's, I see courses everywhere becoming equestrian mental coach, you know, but they did, they weren't around seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, so it was very much um, a new idea, but, you know, so many of the people that I met, especially in the US, and the US is miles ahead of us, had therapists, you know, and, they were working with therapists regularly uh, so it wasn't I think in the US it wasn't um, unusual and they were very open to the idea of someone to talk to um, uh, but if I remember here when I was you know I was midway through my master's and I kind of said it to a few people what do you think and immediately they said no chance like people yeah. do not want to talk about their emotions in the horse industry so it's really changed over time but certainly at that time it was what are you talking about you know yeah you hit the nail on the head there with saying that America is so ahead of the game in terms of that and like that they have therapists and exactly they're open about it and mm -hmm. that was one of the questions you know was there kind of almost kind of tilted head when you came back here you know when you I think there's a stigma around that word like mental health and psychologists and stuff and I had a conversation with another coach a couple of weeks ago and you know she's a performance coach as well and she kind of said yeah I work with riders but no, they won't tell other riders that they're working with a performance coach so it's okay. still very much kind of hush hush um and you know of course we're evolving but very very slowly and why do you think that there is such a or there was and maybe still is a bit of a stigma around you know riders working with um you know performance coaches because we do everything for the horse in the sense that we work we do get saddle fitters physios farriers we do everything for the horse but we neglect ourselves as yeah. riders you know so why do you think that there was such a big stigma around this yeah, I think in general, like I think the world has moved on dramatically over over the last few years. But I think for a big part, when I look at maybe the people that I asked about it in that time, I was asking an older generation, you know, people that were maybe 50 or 60 years old. And it was just completely alien to them. It wasn't that um, they disapproved of it they just didn't see how it fitted in you know and it's interesting now because when I think back to a couple of those characters that would have you know maybe said no chance they're the ones that actually send me all their students now because they don't know when something goes wrong how to deal with it so they send them to me and we have a great relationship you know so um I think it's just like anything it's it's if you ask the average 30 year old male person, have you ever sat down and talked about yourself for an hour with someone? No. Have they ever just booked an appointment one-to-one -one and talked to someone about themselves? No. You know, women tend to be a little bit more open to it, but you know, it's a strange concept. But for me, I think as I've grown in the industry, people understand my link to performance, you know? So it's not that you necessarily come to me with a problem, but a lot of people come and say, it's going the best that it's ever gone. How do I maintain that consistency? How do I figure out what I'm doing well now that I'm able to repeat it, you know? So it's not necessarily that someone has a weakness, but it's actually, how do I find another percentage to get better? How do I improve my performance? You know, so it's it's not just I'm, I've got nerves and I don't know what to do. It's very much performance related. So I think people have started to understand that now. And for me, I see a huge shift um, in people wanting to do it, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah. So the way that you've um, worked, so you've worked with the likes of, um, you know, the Rolex Young Rider Academy, the Windrush Equestrian Foundation and much more. So if you could give us a bit of an insight into the different, um, I don't know if method is the right word, but ways that you have coaching, I suppose you help people improve their performance. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, I suppose, yeah, I've been really lucky to get in with a couple of unbelievable academies and, and federations. And it's really the way the sport is going now. Thankfully, we're looking at developing a person as opposed to just an athlete, you know. So it was for a long time, you know, this how to ride better, get coached in an arena. Now we're looking actually how do you turn... Um, how do you turn an athlete into the best person possible? So, you know, when you look at those academies, they're learning how to strengthen their core. They're learning how to eat better. They're learning how to think better. They're learning how to manage their businesses. So it's very much a holistic look at the person. So, so that's important. So for me, what I normally do is, for example, I go to Geneva next week uh, to the five star show and I'll work with the academy there. So we'll do two workshops together. So the first workshop is going to be and I've met these these group before, so it's not the first time. But we'll look at kind of the mindset and the challenges of maybe going into winter and the, mi the mindset of the relentless shows and maybe the struggles that they've come up against so far. And then the second um second workshop is going to be all about um that five-star level you know they all ride at five-star level they all ride very well so how can we identify like the percentages here at this show for example like where are the critical moments that you're gonna gonna get exposed over the next couple of days like where can you find moments of control versus uncontrollable and and so really breaking down that kind of event with them and look challenging them to look at you know what's happening in the warm-up what's looking what's happening when they go to an, a media interview you know what's what's happening for them in this environment and and the skills associated with that and then I'll work with them one-on-one -on -one over four days as well um doing individual sessions and, and everyone's at a different place some girls some boys some some have lost a horse this year so maybe down a level some are uh, have been on the global champions tour all season and, and haven't stopped you know so that individual work is, is very important as well so you do you do a mix of um, working one to one and groups as well. So do you work a good bit in team environments as well? Yeah. So do you mean working with them as a group? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I work. Yeah. So I work in kind of different for the Rolex Academy. It would be very much them doing a workshop together, and I suppose a big part of that is sitting down and getting them to collaborate with each other and start to open up and tell stories because everyone comes from extremely different backgrounds with different um, you know, pluses and minuses and have had different experiences and they haven't been together as a group in, I don't know, maybe since last year. So, um, so it's really about pulling out what they can learn from each other and facilitating that as well. Um, and, and just trying to move the group forward uh, learning from each other. I imagine when you sit them down and you encourage them to open up, um, it, I'm sure it creates a, a sense of relatability as well, because I think, you know, we, we know that the horse industry can be definitely a very lonely sport as well. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that creating that sense of relatability that everybody goes through struggles of like lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem and stuff like that. I yeah. imagine it makes riders feel more comfortable and feeling that they're not going through things alone. Absolutely. You know, and when someone that's, you know, just done Nations Cup finals, you know, says, Jesus, I was absolutely petrified before going in. Like I had so much pressure on me, you know, like that cracks a laugh from other people and you break the tension in the room and someone else says, yeah, geez, I found myself in that spot time before you know and then you talk about okay what happened you know like uh, let's look at how that situation unraveled so people have a chance to see themselves in other people um and, and that's a lovely when you can create that in a room that's a lovely place to be you know yeah i imagine it's so working with that um 
caliber of riders it's so inspiring for you as well to to I suppose like witness this and and like that kind of create that environment so what have you learned from those riders you know when you come away from those big big shows what have you learned from them yeah I think I, I learn all the time you know and, and I suppose that's my favorite part of the job is actually maybe when someone comes with me it comes with something in a session with me and I don't know the answer directly you know and it's not my job to give people the answers it's my job to hold up a mirror so they can see their behavior themselves and, and learn through it that way so when someone comes and I don't maybe haven't been in that experience before we work through it together and I learn something new and I learn a new technique or a new way so I'm always learning and it's not just about the top athletes that I learn from either. It's it's from everybody, you know, and, and different life experiences and how they build in. But I suppose looking at the top athletes, probably what I'd say I've learned from them is pre-characteristics would be number one, hunger. So they're just incredibly hungry for the sport. Like you can't believe. And as soon as they jump around, they're thinking about the next round. So they never hit a point of satisfaction. They never think like, that was perfect and sit back and relax. Like it's always on to the next, onto the next. So they're never satisfied, I would say. Um, uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing as long as it's managed. Um, I would say they're never tired. So they might be exhausted, but you never hear them say that they're exhausted. Uh, they're just motivated. They want to keep going. They can't wait to get on the plane to get to the next show, you know? And thirdly, I would say they deeply deeply believe in themselves and they have an absolute belief that they can make it happen you know and and if they didn't have that I don't think they'd work as hard because if you don't deeply believe in something you'd only try halfway why would you kill yourself every day doing something if you don't really believe you can make it you know so and I think that's maybe when I where I see people that aren't at top level is they don't deeply believe that they can do it so the effort is only halfway there you know so um yeah I see these athletes just complete commitment hunger belief in what they're doing and tunnel vision on the sport you know absolutely tunnel vision and that's to partner with someone that thinks that way is really exciting and fun you know um because they just want more and the more information they can get the better wow like hearing that just the word that really kind of hit me the most was the word belief mm -hmm. and you know we all I suppose suffered in that self-belief area but it's extremely powerful believing in yourself you know you can have all the help in the world but you need to like have that deep-rooted um, self-belief and would that be something that you would see I suppose across the board working with both you know like top level athletes and, and other athletes what would be the most reoccurring not well I suppose issue but thing that athletes suffer with the most that I suppose hindering their performance that they are working with you to move forward if that makes sense yeah absolutely um so I'd probably split that in two halves I think when you look at the professional sport it's quite different from people that are doing it as an amateur for a hobby you know it, it's two quite different sets of issues I would say um from a professional point of view I would say a lot of them lead such busy lives that they use time with me to for self-reflection. So they're just always on the go, always on the phone. And how often do you get a chance to sit down and just talk about an experience for an hour, you know, um, and talk about yourself? Like that's totally rare. When was the last time anyone sat down with someone and just talked about themselves? For an hour you know people don't have that in life because the other person is always while that person's talking the other person is thinking of a response or they're associating it to their own experience so that they can reply but to sit down and just be given a chance to speak about themselves and someone listen to them and mirror back and reflect and ask questions they're able to come to their own conclusions about situations very quickly you know so um, it's not that I'm an expert in every single part of the sport in the business, but I am able to ask the right questions that the person can find the answers themselves. Okay. Um, 
I suppose the other thing I see with professionals is maybe looking for a bit of structure because they're so busy. So how do I structure my thoughts? How do I structure my actions? How do I build a routine that works for me? How do I look at my lifestyle and how that's playing in? A lot of them come with relationship type of things. So if you have a huge argument with your girlfriend or boyfriend before you have to jump a Grand Prix, how do you deal with that emotional side? You know, what are the skills I need to be able to park that or a dispute with an owner? You know, all those kind of stresses. Um, and, and then the other big part for them is at their level, everyone's good. Everyone has good horses. Everyone rides very well. So how do they get better than the next person? You know, where do they find those percentages in themselves and where do they need to be more disciplined to get better? Um, from an amateur rider point of view, um, I would say the most common thing is nerves, fear, um, dealing with emotions, frustrations, what I find mostly with people that ride for fun or, or for a hobby is that their whole focus is on things that they can't control, uh, whether that's what the weather is doing, their horse is doing, what the course designer has built, who the judge is, you know, all those kind of common things that we worry about. And they become so consumed with those things that they forget about the only thing they can control is themselves, their behavior, their thoughts, their actions. So it's kind of bringing people back into themselves and looking at, okay, well, what can, can you control, I suppose? And then also just for them, you know, what are you contributing to that situation? Like, how are you creating that environment? How are you creating that, those feelings? You know, what's your impact on the horse um, by doing that? So yeah, quite different, I would say. Um, you know very rarely does fear or nerves come into the professional side of it of course it does after an accident and um, whereas i would say it's a driver of a lot of the problems coming from people that just ride for fun it's interesting to see the difference of how what mainly like you say the amateur kind of you know that ride for fun what they suffer with versus what the professionals mm -hmm. suffer with and I imagine from that then you would have to tailor your sessions very differently then accordingly would you yeah um absolutely I, I suppose everyone needs something different and it depends how much people work with me so you know I have a, a, a good few people that have been working with me for four years uh, and they could call every week you know they're they're doing the sport at a high level so that session looks different from somebody that's you know coming up for three sessions and just needs to understand things better so there's that kind of long-term versus short-term goals as well and partnering with people long-term short-term um but there's definitely a, a pathway that sessions follow for me it's about looking at okay what's the goal so even if it's just a session goal you know what do you want to get out of this what's the reality what's going on at the moment okay and um, so let's look at the baseline of where we are then let's look at the options we've got. Okay, so that that's kind of where things might take a different route in terms of my approach of do we need to go into the emotional side? Do we need to go into the personality side, whatever it is? And then, okay, um, let's look at how we kind of wrap that up and the action that needs to go forward from it. So it is kind of taking people through a similar pathway through sessions, but it's also... Um, yeah, it's also very much person dependent. Yeah, yeah. And having worked with a vast number of riders, what are some of the most surprising kind of benefits clients have walked away with from working with you? I suppose that you didn't expect them to benefit from, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a good question. I think I'm always surprised, surprised by riders. <laughs> And sometimes they send me messages, you know, and I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, I think, is the growth that they see in themselves as a person. You know, um, I had one woman there and she just messaged me and said, you just changed my outlook on life, you know, and cutting out negativity and starting to focus on myself. And that's freed me up. And, you know, I started a new um, career because of it. And, you know, so... 
for me, it's always the growth that the person has rather than just the results. I, I, I don't, not too concerned with the results. Of course, it's important. That's what they want. But when I see a growth in a person and the way that they think and deal with situations, that's my favorite part, you know. One thing that surprises me a lot, um, and, and I think you get it as much as professionals, as amateurs, is the confusion about the sport. Like the sport has got so complicated for them um, and they're wrapped up in all these concepts about the sport and they don't actually understand how to just simplify things and go back to a skills focus, you know. Um, and sometimes when they have that switch in their mind of, of you know, an example of that is, you, you know, my coach keeps telling me I need to be more connected to the horse. So they've gone off in their head and created all these things about the connection and they're going into the ring, like looking for connection, but they have no idea what that actually means from a skills point of view. You know, it means actually being able to sit in the tack, use your weight, you know, to, to influence the horse, staying relaxed in your body, you know, having a connection on the rein, having your horse up in front of you. And when they go back and actually think about all the skills involved, they're like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't know any of that was missing or that that's even what was involved because they'd just been focusing on this concept, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. breaking it down for people or they say, you know, I just need to jump more. I need to get better at jumping, but you know, so I've got to go to shows, but what does jump, what's jumping made up of? You know, it's made up of having enough rhythm. It's made up of being able to keep your horse straight. It's made up of being able to support him with the outside rein. It's made up of being you and the horse being relaxed. None of which you need to jump a jump for, you know? So that's all stuff that's in your control that you can work on every day. So just giving that people, giving people that moment when they think, actually, this is in my control. Improvement is in my control not my coaches not my horse not me in the show ring I can control this and when they get that switch in their head it's like a light bulb moment and I'm always surprised how confused people are about the basics just because they haven't been taught or explained it properly and and I think that's a lovely change to see in people from that there uh, when you know you described as somebody wanting to jump more as the kind of end goal Mm -hmm. but you kind of can't go to the end goal without doing the steps in order to get to that end goal I know that seems very kind of simplified but you have to do a b and c to get to x y z you know like mm -hmm. that your, your rhythm a contact into the outside rain and stuff and I think it might tie into this with social media I suppose maybe making things even more complicated again that yeah people are just kind of running away with themselves looking for like that kind of um solution yeah yeah you know and not actually thinking the power of just the simple basics and yeah would you say that um social media in amongst the professional and the amateur riders is something that comes up a lot that has come up a lot in recent years with um riders wanting to unlock their potential Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a love hate relationship with it. I, I think, like most people my age, I spend too much time on it, you know, and uh, so I totally understand the influence that it has. Um, I think it's created a reality that doesn't exist for so many yeah. people you know I think it's the art of comparison to everyone so you know you see someone with a young horse and the horse throws a huge flashy jump and you think oh my god where did they find that but then you see it at the show and it actually starts one two flashy and then it's normal for the rest of the course you know so it's very it's become all the time looking to be better 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 than to the things that don't exist you know and uh, yeah it's it's creating a lot of challenges from a, a mental perspective but it's also creating a lot of opportunities and we're getting to see things in people's lives that we maybe didn't have access to before and insights into different things so I think for me it's just extremely important to understand who you're following and why you're following them and, and what they have to offer you you know um 
so yeah, I have de very differing views about social media. It's brilliant. It's great for my business. I enjoy it, but it, you know, I'm 30, nearly 32 years old. I know that that maybe isn't a realistic portrayal of something. Whereas someone that's 17, 18 doesn't have that perspective of life that's able to say like, maybe they don't look like that, you know? All yeah. So yeah. yeah, I worry about people that maybe haven't got enough life experience to understand that that's, that's not a realistic um, goal, I suppose. Because mm. I like, like that is the love-hate relationship. I was lucky enough to get in contact with you through social media. Yeah. And I think for our age, we were lucky to grow up without it. You know, I have a four-year-old now at the moment and, you know, he's definitely not in any way going like one of the ones that just went through the mana to the go for gold sale or anything like that. Yeah. But I had the awareness to know that, you know, he's my horse. I'm on his, I'm on my journey with him and whatever else. But you hit an, a, on an important point that for the younger generation, the 16, 17, 18-year-olds, it's just so consumed. And, you know, I suppose they're almost putting themselves under pressure to, I suppose, you know, keep up with, oh God, that what, what it, what, that's what it must always look like yeah. on social media. Yeah. Um, and do you see kind of the younger generation, I suppose, yeah, like fighting kind of against social media? Is that something that comes up a lot in conversation with the younger writers that you work with? Yeah, I think, you know, an example of, that I see social media come up is I follow them on my work account, I follow lots of riders on my work account um, and for their horse updates and they might post something and I think, wow, they had a great, great result today. You know, uh, the horse jumped amazing and they have a few videos of it. And then I'm either talking to them later or I look up the results and that's not the case, you know? So they're, they're putting out a message to the world that everything's wonderful, but inside they know that it's not, you know? So this is real sense of people um, just creating something to the external world and not letting people in, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of vulnerability and I see that all the time and it's something I really question with those writers and push them to answer why did you do that you know yeah um, and that's not something that they, they come up against too often as someone questioning that and um, I think the people that are doing the sport on a professional level they're not faced by social media overly I think they just don't have time for it the people that are doing the five-star shows four-star shows uh, they're on the road they enjoy parts of it they look at it but they're not buying into that comparison side of it I think the level down from that that are maybe if you look at riders in Ireland trying to run a business trying to get coaching clients I think they're very influenced by social media because you're comparing yourself to other people all the time um, and I do see a pushback now of people saying you know I choose not to go on it on show days or you know I keep it till after I've written or whatever it is so it's just learning how to manage it for yourself is the big thing and from that then what in I know this could be a very broad question mm -hmm. and there could be kind of multiple different answers but given the experience that you have what makes a successful athlete in your eyes I think it has to come down to mindset, to be honest. I think that's the foundation of everything that I do is based off mindset, you know. And um, yeah, I, to me, it's like the foundations of the house and you can build any pretty walls, put in a pretty couch, you know, do a fancy kitchen. But if the foundations aren't strong, it, it makes no odds, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's very much a mindset thing to me that makes a good person, someone, or not a good person, sorry, a good athlete. If you're focused, the, the big difference in mindset is you're either trying to prove yourself or you're trying to improve yourself. The successful people are trying to improve themselves, okay? Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> if you spend your time trying to prove yourself, your concern is with what other people think of you and what your results say about you, very much on things that you can't control. You put huge pressure on yourself to 
portray to the outside world that you've got it together okay and you're very much in a comparison mode and um, so you're looking at people around you all the time thinking I'm definitely better than them but that person over there is better than me you know and I don't want to expose myself or put myself in a situation where I could be exposed you know Whereas if your focus instead is on how do I improve myself, you're very much focused on your own journey. You know, what skills can I get better at from a physical, technical, mental point of view that are going to move me another percentage forward, you know? And when someone's thinking like that, they're not concerned about what other people are doing. They want to learn from the people that have done it before them. They want to collaborate with others because they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I get better? What can I learn from people around me? They're not threatened by other people's results or, or things. They're thinking, wow, they produce an amazing result. Like, what did they do in the preparation to be able to go out there and deliver it in the Grand Slam? You know, and, and that's the difference really is how you view yourself in the world, um, whether you're trying to improve yourself or improve yourself. And it's always, you always want people to be trying to improve. Oh my God, like I just had that light bulb moment there that you were talking about earlier, like whether you're trying to prove yourself or improve yourself. And I think, you know, just hearing that alone will make people kind of take a step back and kind of think, you know, I suppose we all hear of like finding your why. Why are you doing this? You know, are you doing this to prove it on social media or at the shows or whatever? Are you yeah. doing it to improve? Exactly. Um, and if you think about even wow, going in, into a, a, a show this weekend, you know, and you're thinking like, right, I want to go in there and prove that I can jump to 130, for example, you know, where is your focus? Like you're creating stress in that situation. Your focus is on the result when you haven't even started yet. So you're not in the moment, you know, and if you're going in there and thinking, I actually want to improve my ability to keep the rhythm out of the turns and I really want to be able to support the horse on takeoff okay then I'm going in there I'm thinking improvement I'm thinking how am I giving the horse the best possibility I'm in the moment I'm connected to what I'm doing and my focus is purely on the, what I can control you know going in there thinking I'm going to prove I can jump a 130 does absolutely nothing for the outcome you know yeah yeah the 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 difference between a process goal and 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 the outcome goal and like we've all been there I've been there as well I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't if I you know hadn't tell off right at this show I want to do you know you want to get a red row there so you want mm -hmm. to like that to play around but it just highlights the importance of the basic processes that actually accumulate to getting that you know um but kind of um rewinding a little bit when you suffered that fall and I suppose working with the athletes that you work with do you ever I suppose suffer with your mindset yourself you know do you ever kind of have any self-doubt or any imposter syndrome or something like that you know if, if you came up against an obstacle as a coach I suppose do you have to apply the work that you do on others on yourself if that makes sense yeah constantly constantly um I'm certainly not not a guru or a genius by any stretch you know and I think the more I learn about myself and the more I work on myself the more use I am to somebody else you know so um yeah I'm constantly working on myself um from a, a basic point of view you know knowing that when I have a session with somebody, they're paying me their hard-earned money to get value from me. So therefore, I need to provide value to them. So I need to be in the best space possible to be able to do that. So, you know, you know, making sure I'm not exhausted when I'm working with someone is important. You know, basic things like that of like having to set a routine, having to fuel myself, having to manage travel, manage all that stuff. So setting boundaries around what I do, not taking on too much work in a day because the last person gets half the quality you know um and and then definitely confidence is a big one when I was a child I was the shyest person you could have ever come across like it, it would have killed me to put my hand up in school let alone stand up in front of people and talk you know and so that's a skill that I've learned over time and it's a skill and I continue to learn how to do it better, you know, so it's not that I think, wow, I give a talk to so-and-so, I've made it. It's like, yeah, that was okay. 
my mindset is I'm not proving myself to anyone I'm trying to improve so how am I gonna what did I learn from that experience what can I do better the next time um so yeah things like that and, and the imposter syndrome was very hard at the start I would say you know when good writers call you up and say I want to work with you you're thinking oh my god am I good enough you know to work with them um but you you learn over time that you have a value and you learn from experiences that you can make shifts in people that they find valuable so yeah, I think it all builds in, it builds into itself that over time you gain more confidence. Um, one story I have is uh, the Windrush, Windrush Foundation, which people might be familiar with, is kind of some top eventers in the UK coming together. And they asked me to come over and talk and I hadn't met them really before. And I got on the plane, didn't really think anything of it, was going to do my workshop, wasn't particularly stressed about it and I had to get off the plane straight into present and I walked in and front seat right beside me was Pippa Funnel and I mean she's a legend so it's not that I was terrified to talk in front of her but it does take you back for a minute you know when you're thinking okay I was quite relaxed going into the situation and now, <laughs> now there's a legend sitting beside me like ready to learn from my presentation and she's amazing you know and I was able to bring her into the session. So instead of being intimidated by someone, you're bringing them in and saying, you know, what can this person that's in the room offer as well? And that's what I do when I have very good writers that I'm working with is tell me your experience. Let me learn from you and you can learn from me. And it becomes more of a collaboration than, than an inspection, you know, of who, yeah. who, who and, and Pippa was amazing that day. And, you know, she's an amazing person and an athlete and she just shared her experiences and how she thinks and what she struggles with. And it became a fantastic session, you know, so it's not, you just learn through these things that there's ways to deal with them um, as well. Wow, that must have been absolutely amazing. And one of the things that um, struck out to me that you had spoke about there is, I suppose, managing um, your own boundaries and managing your own um, I suppose time and and like that and would you consider that I suppose the energy that you would expel helping people is quite high so mm -hmm. yeah you would have to manage your boundaries but would you say that's important for any coach whether it's a coach kind of out in in the arena or a performance coach like yourself is to I suppose if fill your energy so that you can expel the right amount of energy I hope I'm explaining that right yeah. that you're yeah. not kind of running on empty all the time so that you can give the best to your to your last rider at the end of the day or at yeah. the end of the week a hundred percent um and you get like I give a lot to people in a session you know and yes I might be sitting on zoom and people think like that can't be that stressful but I've got to hear what's the words in between their sentences. I've got to read their body language. I've got to intensely listen to the subtleties in what they're saying. You know, I've got to be able to ask the right questions. That's hard work, you know, um, and it's it's not sitting listening to someone. It's really listening and paying attention to everything that you're hearing from them. Um, and if you want to be good at, at helping people, that's a skill that you've got to be able to do, you know. Um, so you've got to you've got to be your best to be able to give it to other people, you know, and that's something I definitely learned is like I was burning myself out before, you know, it's not OK to get on a flight at 4 a.m., work with one to ones all day long, deliver workshops, get back 9 p.m. the next night and then have a full day of sessions the next day because you're just not giving your best at that point. You can try as hard as you want, but the reality is the motivation's down. Um, and you're trying to get through it rather than like you're trying to survive rather than thrive if you want to say and you know okay. that's, that's that's not where I want to be I don't ever want to be in survival mode and it happens but I try to avoid it and I think that's the message I give to other people is if you're really good when you're on it's much better than being okay you know all of the yeah. time so it's finding that on off switch 
and I find that with riders as well is like you can't be focused all day long every day so yes you might have seven horses at a show but where do you find your off moment you know that your brain needs to come back down and the evenings you need to be able to switch off so yeah it's just about finding that on off in yourself and how to manage it I love that. Another really good um, light bulb. Uh, thrive, not survive. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what would be then your proudest coaching moment to date that you've had? Yeah, I think it's really that. hard on fair question. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I can't really. I I keep all my work confidential, so I don't want to like of name course. name individuals or anything. But yeah, this. There's been lots. I think for me, when I work with a rider and maybe they're building up to the Rolex Grand Slam in Spruce Meadows and I see them, I'm watching the live stream, for example, I have it on my big TV in the sitting room, live streaming. I sit down and I watch them trot into the arena, like that excitement buzz and I'm willing them on, you know, and I'd be screaming at the TV and like there'd be nearly tears streamed down my face, you know, because you've heard their like most intimate thoughts and moments leading up to that you're a part of it you know you're boosting them with confidence before they go in and do it like you're really a part of it and it's not that I get any glory from it like nobody knows most of the time that I've had any involvement but just that moment when I see them succeed or even for an amateur rider just that they overcame something you know um and I think going on journeys with people is is lovely. Um, I have one rider I worked with for quite a few years. She's gone from two star level to five star level over the time that I've worked with her. And she's just a gorgeous person. And you get to know people and learn about their lives and, and everything. And I just love that. I, I'm proud of those people that I get to know. Um, and yeah, just... To be able like to be able to give them a hug and say well done at the end of it whatever their personal challenge was and to see the emotion in them that's kind of when I'm the most proud you know and I think as well probably from a personal perspective having a dream and then thinking this is how I want my life to look at some point I had definitely had that thought and it now being a reality of I do work with the people that I wanted to work with um, and I set those as goals and I chased them they didn't land on my doorstep and uh, that's that's quite a proud thing for me as well oh I love that <laughs> I, I imagine that came about for you as well through so much hard work but going back to what we said the belief in yourself you know yeah. that, that you had the belief in yourself to, to, to achieve all these wonderful things that you've achieved I think, you know, and it's not that I have achieved amazing things or anything, but I think people often come to me and say, I'd love to do what you do. How did you do it? And there's no recipe that just worked, you know, from when I started, like I, when I first started my business, I had very little funds to be making things happen. And I was riding horses in the morning to pay the bills so that I could focus on my business until it, it got enough kind of momentum then that money I had I booked a flight to Wellington in Florida and went and took myself there and sold myself to every tra trainer saying you know send me your students I'm going to run a workshop can you give me your barn I know you will you give me your barn I'll run a workshop tonight for free then their students would come and they'd say I want to work with you you know so to book a flight and take yourself to Florida off nothing you know it it took a little bit of hard work and a bit of guts you know or the young rider academy that was um jack dodd uh who a lot of people will have known he was in the academy he unfortunately has passed away since but he was a friend of mine and he kept saying to me you've got to get in with them they're brilliant like you'd get in and sure I was emailing them and getting no response or whatever so I just booked a flight to Geneva and landed in and rang them when I was there and said I'm here will you meet me at the show because I knew they were there and they met me and I had a big meeting with them and then they said yeah okay yeah let's try and I've been working with them for four or five years and we go all over the world together you know so it's not that these people just landed on my lap and I did a qualification and it happened it had to be made happen you know and um, you've got to take gambles in life 
to get to get to a better place you know but uh, pun intended you have to take the jump you know you, you literally have, to take, have to take the jump yeah and I have a, a, a friend of mine and she was starting her own business at the same time and the two of us would be on the phone to each other or like out for a walk like pumping each other up like just do it just go and do it you know <laughs> and like there's there's a lot of self-doubt at that point you know and a lot of fear and it gets less as you go on for sure with more experience but you don't get to a point where you just sit back and put your feet up and think okay this is great this is just going to keep ticking over it's like how do we get the next push now and yeah. that's kind of being self-employed in general yeah 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 wow it's such it's such an um an inspiring journey and I think listeners will go away from this with so many nuggets of knowledge um and I definitely have already like had so many light bulb moments and the biggest thing is you know self-belief and and working hard and mm. for kind of for that then adding to that you have any other advice that you'd have for coaches or athletes you know wanting to kind of I suppose broaden their knowledge around mindset and wanting to maximize their potential a little bit more yeah um I think my advice for anyone is to read <laughs> um actually is to read books uh read things re like listen to things because a lot of the time I'd say 99% of the time someone has gone before you and done it and figured it out you know so writers tend to spend so much time in their heads you know especially professionals they could be in their heads eight hours a day and if something's bothering you or frustrating you or you're struggling with something it tends to just stay in that cycle because you don't break it you know but go and educate yourself on, on new concepts new things learn as much as possible like there's probably a solution there is a solution for everything out there so um i think yeah anyone that's interested in kind of broadening their mindset is to start by reading and, and that's how I started was I found a book I thought this is amazing it's like a secret club they're all talking about how you can change your life you know uh, by your thoughts. <laughs> and you know wow well, okay let's think about that for a minute so yeah start by reading I think if you're a coach or someone that's interested in kind of getting into performance coaching go with the best that you can afford you know I see a lot of um a lot of courses online that are being offered by different people or things and they're they're fine I'm sure I've never done any of them but go for the real place where you're getting the best people the best education don't look for a quick fix you know a lot of people like I get messages quite often saying oh I think I want to do what you do there's a six-week course that's going on here like I'm just going to do that what do you think and there's if you want to work with someone and they're going to come to you think of it them coming for 10 hours of work like have you got enough information from that six-week course you did to then add value to someone for 10 hours you know so it depends how you want to do it or build it in if you just want to increase your insight I'm sure that course is brilliant but if you want to actually do it as a career, like go to the best possible place you can and get the best information, whether that's a university or, you know, an academy or whatever it is, try and aim for the best. Yeah, yeah. No, that's like definitely, you know, solid advice. And of course, you're, especially when you're putting your hand into helping somebody with the way you do, you want to be like qualified and, you know, especially people are putting a lot onto yourself and you yeah. want to be able to manage them, but also be able to manage yourself as well. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a huge thing. You know, it's not easy to run a one-to-one -one session with someone like that's not a, a particularly easy thing to do to someone to sit down in front of you for them to give you their money and you be responsible for them walking away feeling great and with value like that's not a particularly easy skill to do so you need training you need someone to educate you to show you You need practice hours you need to be coached through that process you know you, you need mentors and and the other thing is that people can often say things and be very vulnerable in those sessions that maybe yeah. you're not directly relating to but it could be something that's happened in their past or an experience or a trauma how do you package that person up in the session that they feel firstly safe and that they walk out feeling okay 
you know and if you haven't got the training to do that you're getting into a quite a difficult spot you know so you've got to equip yourself with as much skill which is as much knowledge with as much experience as possible um uh, before you kind of take that on is is my advice the other thing i'd say is if you're interested in this area in terms of horses like think about it not just the psychology side but think about it the sport side understand every element of the sport you possibly can you know be as good at knowing the sport as you possibly possibly can like in our house all evening it's clip my horse playing we're you know watching the shows you know we're watching riders following results um everything I follow is to do with the sport like what shows on this week who can I watch there that I admire you know and mm. and you know starting to just watch and learn and you can learn as much from doing that as anything else and become a specialist in the sport you know um as much as anything else I really like that um you can learn just as much being on the ground as you can being in the saddle and yeah. that is such solid advice for you know kind of going back to what we were talking about social media instead of kind of aimlessly scrolling through Facebook mm-hmm. go and watch the clip my horse or the latest show that has been on and you know analyze what went well for the riders what didn't go well I think that's really really valuable in knowing everything about the sport that you can but going back to the book have you any book recommendations that oh. I think <laughs> as a listener yeah, that I I if you want I'll send you a list then you can put them on the show notes if you want oh um, yeah because I, I, I probably have a few that I can send you I, I always struggle to remember authors names uh, <laughs> in the moment so I don't embarrass myself by I'll send you some some um but I I think yeah read books like and they don't have to be horse related it's very hard to find a psychology horse related book you know just read about anything to do with mindset psychology and open your mind and make the connection then between the two between the sport and and that part um and yeah like you said there is you don't have to be in the saddle to improve yourself you know or you don't have to be physically coaching someone to improve prove yourself just pick a pick one skill at a time and think how can I get better at this one skill you know um and yeah like maybe it's course walking you know so okay where can I get uh the course walk plan from this Grand Prix let's go watch it on YouTube because for sure it's there I did it ride the way I thought it was gonna ride you know uh what did I notice about these horses or you know go to a local show walk the course and then watch the horses do it you know and ask someone what did you think of that line you know so pick one thing at a time and try and improve it and become you know I think people think I just want to be that you know and that again yeah. is the concept like you said you've got to start break it down what are the skills involved in that and and also I'm probably rambling now but um like don't look at someone that's one level above you and think I want to be like them or I want to be good like pick someone that's 10 levels above you you know like the best pick the best rider in the world you know and think I want to be like them you know how do I get like them and follow them online you know follow Scott Brash, Marcus Enning, Charlotte whoever you want you know and think what are they doing you know and how do I follow their mindset because the person that's only one step ahead of me is they're still trying to figure it out too you know um so I think like aim high and and yeah just change your mindset about just being in the group that you're in locally with your peers or whatever and start to look at the people that are kind of leading the way I would say what are the kind of long-term and short-term goals for um your coaching business yeah good question (laughs) I suppose it's growing and growing all the time so it's a part of it that's kind of managing that growth which is a lovely place to be um COVID again changed you know I would have been on the road probably twice a month internationally uh so that that changed um over COVID um so short term I go to Geneva next week that's kind of a big goal of the year, I suppose. It's a, a lovely end to the year. Um, and yeah, it'll just be 
I start now and getting people ready for January already. So we get into then Florida season. So I work with a huge amount of American riders. Um, so the prep kind of is starting now. Their season is getting going over there. That will keep me busy pretty much till April. <laughs> uh, so it's that, that kind of thing that those things keep rolling. And then my partner and I, um, Aiden and myself have bought a place as well. And we're in the middle of doing that up. I'm going to have a nice office situation. We're going to have training oh, on site. And that's kind of a big moving forward project of having a facility that people can come train um, and also spend time, come for sessions, kind of really get the, the whole package, I suppose, in terms of performance and coaching and things like that and, and be able to provide that service so yeah I think that's a big exciting step forward for us and we're up to our ears with it uh, at the minute but it should be should be exciting coming into next year oh massively exciting and congratulations um, you. on your new place yeah um, before we finish off um, if um i'm gonna finish off with um a quick couple of quick fire questions oh, okay <laughs> if, people, if people want to get in contact with you um i will list all of your, your websites and your um instagram handle uh in the show notes but um yeah if people want to get in contact um what's your website yeah so it's just my name poppy blanford oh, oh can you hear me yeah i can hear you yeah it's it's very easy there's not too many poppy blanfords in the world so if you put that into google you my email address is poppyblanford at gmail.com or my website is poppyblanford.com so you'll find my name will bring you to the right place um and yeah instagram or whatever as well facebook is all there too perfect perfect okay finishing off with a couple of quick fires Okay, I'm kind of scared. Uh, <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, um, oh my God, quick fire. That's a hard one. <laughs> I think aim high, like aim high. Just aim higher than you think is high. Oh, I like that. <laughs> what does success mean to you? Freedom, definitely. Oh, that came up before. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. What do you prefer, show jumping or eventing? Show jumping. <laughs> and your favorite show? Horse show? Yeah. Uh, Dublin, obviously, everyone says that. Uh, next, Bruce Meadows in Canada. Oh, lovely. Nice. Yeah. Poppy, I cannot thank you enough for um coming on to the podcast i was really excited when we got um in contact i was like a little child before christmas oh, nice. um i think you definitely um let people listening to this will definitely walk away you know with the more knowledge and like that a couple of light bulb moments and i think it gives an appreciation to you know the the, the work that you do as a coach um so I can't thank you enough and I hope you're done. Yeah, it's gorgeous to chat and thank you for having me. And yeah, like I said, uh, there's no problem that's unsolvable. So if there is something in your life or your sport that is bothering you, you know, reach out. It doesn't have to be to me. Reach out to anybody. Someone has a solution for you. You don't have to just sit with it and, and put up with it, you know, and I think psychology can be the most freeing thing that you'll ever do in your life is understanding how your brain works because it controls absolutely everything that you do think say um so understanding why that's happening and how it's happening is extremely freeing um and liberating so yeah just to, i would encourage everyone to take some time and, and learn as much as possible about it thank you so much <laughs>